Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good morning. So there's no wolf packers in the house, huh? I didn't hear much. Well, as long as you're not a Tar Heel. I guess there's more Tar Heels. So anyway, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. I still love you. I still love you. Well, listen, it's an honor to be here, privileged to be able to share with you all. Yes, I came to faith on North Carolina soil 20 years and four months ago on the campus of North Carolina State. So, so grateful. Came here to play football, had aspirations to go into the NFL, et cetera. But the Lord got a hold of me and my affections just shifted to Jesus and I never looked back. And so I'm so grateful to be able to share with you all on today. Now I currently serve at Georgia Baptist, as he mentioned, as the state director of evangelism. So we get to encourage churches and pastors and help them build a culture of evangelism inside of their local church. And so today our text will be Acts chapter one. If you have a copy of the word of God, you can go ahead and turn there now. Acts chapter one will be our text on today. And I'm going to title this sermon the time is now. The time is now. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 8 on this morning. I have a New King James Version of the Word of the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And I'll read it now in your hearing. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Contrast, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Christ, speak to our hearts in this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather around your word, O oh God. Prepare us to hear it and to do it. We make our prayer today in your precious name. Amen. The Bible is a missionary book. It unfolds God's purpose and God's activity in mission in human history. You see this from the beginning in Genesis when God creates mankind as the crown of his, of, his, of his creation. And then we see that man, however, rebels against God and sin enters the world and death through sin. But then we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first announcement of good news during the judgment to the serpent. God says, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. At that moment, God was speaking prophetically of how Jesus Christ would come into the world and crush the head of the enemy and provide for our salvation. 
As you continue to track through the narrative of Genesis, you get to Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham is called to father a people that is going to represent God to the world. By the time you get into Exodus, you find that this people is in slavery in Egypt. So God calls a man by the name of Moses and calls him to go in and deliver them from Egyptian bondage and bring them out, and then he gives them the law. God calls them to live as a kingdom of priests amongst the nations. So we see then that God calls a man by the name of Joshua, and Joshua is tasked with taking them on the conquest of the land that God had promised to Abraham. Now, they get in the land, and they make a huge mistake, however. Instead of living as a kingdom of priests amongst the nations, as a witness to Yahweh amongst the nations, instead they became like the nations. Be very careful that we don't become like the culture, but we engage the culture with the good news about Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, as you continue to track through Judges, we see that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. During this period, which is 400 years of rebellion, God calls people like Samson and others to govern the Hebrew people during this time. Eventually, they continue to want to be like the nation, so they ask God for a king. God allows them to have the king. We know that Saul is the first king. David is the one after Saul, and David is probably the greatest king. But after David, there is mostly a succession of unrighteous kings. So what God does, he raises up prophets, and these prophets are responsible for reminding Hebrew people, the Israelites, to live as God's chosen people amongst the nations. Embedded inside of the prophetic message is the promise of the Messiah that was talked about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Nevertheless, they don't listen to the prophets, so God judges them, sends them into captivity. They remain there for 70 years. God raises up Daniel. Daniel encourages faithfulness amongst the people for the next 70 years. At the conclusion of those 70 years, God calls Cyrus, a pagan king, moves upon his heart to release them back to Jerusalem to rebuild. During this period, they're rebuilding Jerusalem. They slip back into unfaithfulness. They're in legalism, entombed by the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and others for the next 400 years, and there is no word from the Lord. Between Malachi and Matthew and your Bible, there is complete silence. But then Jesus Christ comes on the scene in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And he announces that the, that, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Why? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Some accept him, most reject him. He is crucified, he is buried, and he is raised from the dead on the third day. After his resurrection and prior to his ascension, he calls them to himself in Acts chapter 1, verse number 4, where you'll turn your attention now, and he says this to them, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. He tells them specifically what they are to wait for, and he says, for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father here was an allusion to the Holy Spirit. You'll find this throughout Scripture in Luke 24, 49, for example. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry where in the city of Jerusalem until when you are endued with power from on high. You'll find it also referenced in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It says in Acts 2.33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, there it is, he poured out this which you now see and hear. He says at the conclusion of his sermon, Acts 2.38-39, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, and you shall receive 
the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise, there it is, is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You also find this reference to the promise of the Father in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. One more example, Galatians chapter 3, 13 through 14. Paul, talking to the church of Galatia, says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus referred here to the, the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father because... The Father would send him, and notice I said him and not it. That is very important theologically. God is one and only one, but he exists eternally in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are co-eternal and they are co-equal. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit's personality is proved by the fact that the attributes of personality, intelligence, and volition are all ascribed to the Holy Spirit. By the fact that the Holy Spirit executes offices that are peculiar only to a person. For example, Acts chapter 8, when uh, uh, Philip is basically moved by the Holy Spirit to engage the Ethiopian eunuch. If you look at the scriptures, it says the Holy Spirit said, go and overtake the chariot. He executes offices that are peculiar only to a person. Another example, Acts chapter 13, when they're praying in Antioch and ministering and fasting unto the Lord, the scripture says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called to him to. And in verse number four, it says, and they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is person. The Holy Spirit's divinity is also established. How? By the fact that the names of God are ascribed to him. By the fact that the divine attributes are also ascribed to him. Omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, eternity are all ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. By the fact that creation, he was there in the beginning, the scripture says in Genesis 1-2, is ascribed to him. By the fact that worship is required and ascribed to him. Now, while the Holy Spirit had actively worked among people in the Old Testament era, the special baptizing, which we'll talk about in just a moment, sealing and permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit would come after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Matter of fact, John 7, 38 through 39 says this, He who believes in me, Jesus talking, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John gives us the commentary here. He says, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, for this reason, the apostles needed to follow Jesus' command to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father to come. Now look at verse 4D. Jesus continued, he said, you have heard from me because Jesus had already spoken with them about what is getting ready to follow here in verse number 5. 
He says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be, future tense is the verb. It's also in the passive voice, meaning the subject is receiving the action rather than carrying it out. He says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, Jesus was saying that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit in the future for a very specific purpose that we'll talk about in just a moment. Now, who is John? John was a forerunner of Jesus. We know that. He was a priest of descent. We know that. He was also the subject of prophecy. We know that he was born six months prior to, to Jesus. And the preaching, his preaching, the sum of it was repentance as thousands flocked to John on the Jordan banks where he baptized them unto repentance. And here's what John said to those folks. And he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and even loose. I indeed baptize you with water. But here it is. But he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus later said this concerning the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 through 17. And I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot see because it neither sees him nor him. But you know him for what? He dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, there it is, will send in my name. He, not it, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, there it is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He will testify of me. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, was teaching spirit baptism. All believers at the moment of salvation are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Paul said to the church at Rome in Romans 8, 9, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Furthermore, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our class or station in life, in that baptism, we are identified with Christ and are indwelt by the Spirit. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So what was the difference here between John's baptism? Because we see here he says, for John truly baptized with water. That's a question we should ask of the text. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Now, now what is the difference here? Daryl Block gives us some insight. Here's what he says. The baptism of John was eschatological. It was preparatory washing. Participation in John's baptism meant that one was ready for God to come. However, the gift of the Spirit was the sign that the Messiah had come and a new error had begun. So the Spirit both cleanses us and enables us to be indwelt for mission empowerment. Further, Jesus' resurrection and the arrival of the Spirit provides assurance for us that God is at work and the plan of salvation is intact, church. The Spirit's coming and indwelling guarantee this conclusion. Therefore, we can be assured that the suffering of Jesus did not end the story of the kingdom. So if you're a believer, if you've named Jesus Christ as Lord, you have been baptized 
baptized by the Holy Spirit. The time is now. But there's another word in the text. We've been empowered by the Spirit. Look what Jesus says here. Let's go on. Verse number 6. Therefore, when they had come together to ask him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They literally missed it. However, we'll give them a break because the question seems to be natural because in verse 3, it says that Jesus had been talking with them about the kingdom of God. But let me give you some background concerning the Messiah, which likely influenced this question here. From childhood, a Jew was taught that when the Messiah had come, he would be this victorious reigning political leader. He would free the Jews from bondage to the Romans and he would restore Israel to its rightful place as this independent nation that would shine like a beacon to all the world. The only thing that was debated was what did that mean for you and I as Gentiles? Did that mean salvation for us or did that mean judgment? But notice Jesus, how he responded here. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority here. So what Jesus did is he had nuanced here how the end would work and proceeded to state what their responsibility would be as it unfolded. He says in verse number 8, but contrast, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Darrell Bach says this, the disciples calling concern and mission, watch this, are not to focus on the timing of the end. Rather, they are to receive the enablement that God will give in the Spirit. The spirit here is connected to the word power, where we get the word dynamite from. It refers to the empowerment to speak boldly by testifying to the message of God through Jesus Christ. The term appears about 10 times in Acts, either referring to miracles or the effects of power or enablement. So what we're dealing with here is basically the empowerment that they need to articulate the message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what is going on in the text. Also, we find this. Let me share this with you. Dr. Ernest Scott, in his book called I Believe in the Holy Spirit, said this. The title of the book of Acts could be called the Acts of the Spirit. Why? For the whole purpose of the author is to show what happened to the apostles when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? Humble men all of a sudden became powerful leaders. Now, we know Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Then we find in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Bible says what? That Peter, what? Stood up. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit. The boldness to articulate the gospel, the Holy Spirit. He gives us power. So yesterday, as we're getting off the plane, we're walking to the rental car. I always try to keep gospel tracks on me. Always be prepared that God will open the door. I'm ready to share the gospel. So we walk into the car. The young lady's walking to the car. She said, which one do you want? We pick the car. And before we get the car, I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to share Christ with this lady. The same Holy Spirit that prompted Philip in Acts chapter 8 when he says, go and overtake the chariot. Maybe the Holy Spirit was saying, go overtake this rental car lady. So I said, thank you for your service. Hey, before you go, let me share something with you. I know you're busy, you got a lot going on, but let me, let me give you something. You know, I went to a school here at NC State a couple years, 20 years ago. I came to know Jesus here, and he changed my life. I want to share this good news with you. Will you take this with you? Will you take this with you? She said, yeah, I'm glad to take this with you. And I just left the gospel seat with her. But see, see so the Holy Spirit, listen, he, he, will, he will prompt us to open our mouths and share Jesus with people. And in that moment, we're either going to obey him or we're going to what? Quench him. And let me just say this for you because confession is good for the soul. There's been times when I didn't obey him. 
and I had to go back to my prayer closet. And God reminded me of how I was not obedient in that moment. And what did I do? I repented, asked for forgiveness, and I said, give me boldness the next time you give me an opportunity to open my mouth and make Jesus known. Because that is what we're supposed to do as witnesses. We're to make Christ known. We see here another word in the text. We see here that we've been sent by Jesus. We've not only been baptized by the Holy Spirit, we not only have been, been, been empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we have been, been sent by Jesus. Look what he says in the text. He says here, and you shall be, all these future tense verbs. The first one was, you shall be baptized. That's in the future tense. And then it's also in the future tense when he says, and you shall receive power. And then here it is again, and you shall be witnesses to me. A key term in Acts is the word witnesses. It was used for those who experienced Jesus, and then they saw him in a resurrection appearance. You can find this in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. Here's what it says. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Some of you probably saying, J.J., I didn't see Jesus after his resurrection. Neither did I. Do we have reliable testimony? Absolutely we do. The resurrection is a historical fact. How is it? Well, let's start with just the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. We can find this throughout Scripture. Mark 14, 62. I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, Jesus says. Then we find here in Matthew 16, 16, Jesus' disciple Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. John eleven twenty seven. 27, Jesus' friend Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming to the world. We find Nathaniel saying this in John 1:49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What about his resurrection? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for us according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, by the twelve, and then he was also seen by, uh, 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 after that he was seen over by 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then all by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. The resurrection is a historical fact. But then there's your life. Has he not changed you? I remember what type of man I was when I arrived at North Carolina State in 1999. But then in 2001 of July, when I heard the gospel and I repented of my sins, I know what type of man I became. He not only changed me, but he changed my want-tos. So when the students would come to my door, Hey, J.J., you going to the club with us tonight? No, I can't go to the club with you tonight. I've met Jesus. Hey, J.J., we got some booze over here. You want to come drink with us? No, I can't do that. I've met Jesus. He has changed my life. So it's not only the Word of God, but it is your life that is truly testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. But then notice he names locations where this is supposed to occur. Look at the text. He says in Jerusalem. He says in all Judea, he says into Samaria, 
And then he says, to the ends of the earth. Now, we know that Jerusalem is inside of Judea. That was the city, so that's referring to local. If you're pastoring a church, I always encourage pastors, hey, pastor, you need to be very intentional in winning your Jerusalem first with the gospel, and then the overflow of that should be Judea, and the overflow of that should be Samaria, and the overflow of that should be to the ends of the earth. But then notice he names, names Judea, which was the region or province in which side Jerusalem existed. But then he moves into Samaria, and I love the Samaria. Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And we know that Samaria was not without a separate political existence. They were under the same Roman governor. We also know that they were racially mixed and their religion was syncretism and schism from Judaism. They worshiped at a different place, Mount Gerizim. So we know that Jews, when they were traveling up to Galilee, they would not even go through Samaria. They would go beyond the Jordan into Berea and then come up into Galilee. But then what did Jesus say? I must go through Samaria. The gospel is for all peoples, all locales. Let me ask you something. Where is Samaria when it comes to your church? You know, we got church people that will say, oh, no, we don't fool with those type of people. No, 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 we can't go. Nope, they can't come here, Pastor. No, 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 no. Not people who deal with those addictions, not people that look like that. Oh, no, Pastor, no. We, can't, uh-uh, we don't go across those tracks. No, 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 no. You must go to Samaria. Because the gospel is for all peoples. All peoples. And then notice in the text, he says, to the end of the earth. By the time we get to Acts chapter 28, the gospel is in Rome. It was in Jerusalem in chapter 2. And by the time you get to chapter 8, and we know that most of what you see going on in chapter 28 is as a result of what happened in Antioch in chapter 13 when they were sent out. And then the the first mission trip, and they're going to Philippi and Thessalonica and Lydia and Iconium and all these other places. The gospel is, is moving. And by the time you get to Acts 28, the gospel has landed there in Rome. The gospel should be moving. It should be all gas with no brakes. And the gospel came to us because God wanted it to go somewhere else. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm getting ready to land the plane. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What you want me to do with that? Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to every creature. John 20 and 21, Jesus said this, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. D.L. Moody said this, there is not a better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. If the churches would just let him come in, there would soon be a mighty work for Christ. In my role, I get to go to a lot of churches. And a lot of them, what's happened is the gospel has fallen off the table. It's no longer a priority. And sometimes it was good things 
good things that they said yes to, that they probably should have said no to so they can say right to the best thing, that knocked the gospel off the table. And once the gospel falls off the table, the days of that church are numbered. Many of you, if you're going into pastoral ministry, you're probably going to end up in a church like that. Because most churches are going to call someone, if it's a healthy situation, that is a seasoned person that has been a pastor somewhere else and is proven, they're probably going to call a guy like that. So most of the churches that are in decline or in need of turnaround will probably be guys that are coming right out of seminary. So many of you are heading to a hard place. But let me tell you something. If you preach the gospel, and you prioritize the gospel, and pastor, if you lead out and be the motor for the gospel, I'm telling you from experience that God can use your life to turn that thing around. I've lived it. But the gospel, the gospel has to be a priority in your life first. And then you lead and you share out of the overflow. And what will happen is that not everybody's going to move. And don't wait on everybody to move. Move with the movers. God will begin to move people to come with you. And you'll see God do a mighty work for Christ. Here's what my prayer is. I remember when I was studying for this message and I ran across this. A lot of you know D.L. Moody. You probably studied him. They were planning an evangelistic crusade and they were trying to debate who we should bring. And they were talking about, these were pastors. They were talking about who should we invite to come and be the preacher for this evangelistic crusade. And one young man said, why D.L. Moody does... D.L. Moody don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. Why we got to invite D.L. Moody? It says there was silence in the room, and then an old godly man stood up and said this. No, D.L. don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. My prayer is Holy Spirit have a monopoly on my life. Because I want to be faithful when no one is looking. And also faithful up here when everyone is looking. When you look at Acts chapter 8, I'm trying to land the plane. What do we see? We see Philip go to Samaria, preach the gospel, and the Bible says what? Multitudes heeded the gospel. That was public ministry. And this is my sanctified imagination. He was probably tired after that. I know I would have been tired. And then the angel of the Lord says, hey, man, I need you to get up from here and go southbound from this road to Jerusalem to Gaza. And he gets up and he goes down this road. And then the Holy Spirit says, uh, go get that chariot. He goes and gets the chariot. He preaches Jesus to the man. The man gets baptized and saved. I want to be like Philip. I want to be faithful in public. I want to be faithful in private and sharing the good news about Jesus. The time is now. You've been baptized, you've been empowered, and you've been sent. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to share today in this chapel. I'm grateful. It's an honor. It's a privilege. 
that you would give me an opportunity to be able to come in here and share with the student body, this faculty. Many of these people in this room have been saved longer than I have, know more of the Bible than I do. So I consider it truly an honor and a privilege to be able to share with these dear folks. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in sharing the good news about Jesus. The time is now. So God, help us to boldly make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us opportunities, give us open doors. And we understand that evangelism is our work, but salvation is yours. We can't save anybody. So we'll trust you with the results. But Lord, help us to be faithful to share. We make our prayer today in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.